there, and welcome to the Blue Milk Latte, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Kent Blue Milk Latte Solace, and with me, as always, is my trusty co-pilot aboard the Blue Milk Latte Star Cruiser, Chris Christophsis Mead. Hey, guys. What's up? Hello. Hey. Welcome uh, Welcome back. We're going to be hitting another edition of Boba Talk, where we go over the book of Boba Fett, and in this specific episode, we'll be covering all things to do with Chapter 3. Uh, the streets of Mos Espa. Um, we're pretty. Pr- I, without going too much into it until we hit actually hit the talking points, I uh, really enjoyed this episode. I know that this episode has uh, brought up a few uh, a few complaints here and there, but we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, before we do, uh, Chris, let's go over our Star Wars adventures from this last week. Why don't you kick us off? Um, I don't really have a lot of interest this week. I'm mostly just been trying to work my way through the High Republic book. I think about okay. a quarter of the way through it right now. So, you know, just kind of work my way through that right now. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, All right. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, obviously, we're watching the book book of Boba Fett, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Same. Same here. And uh, this week, not necessarily uh, Star Wars Adventures, but it is fairly tight end. Uh, We had uh, a baby shower for our future baby here. And um, it's going to be a girl. So it was like princess Jedi themed, essentially. So we had like pink flowers and like Star Wars stuff. And uh, obviously we had little little Grogu's here and there, like uh, pointed out. And uh, it's very interesting because we did it not in a typical fashion in this era of uh, pandemic and all that stuff. We decided to be a little bit on the safer side and do a drive through baby shower which was pretty neat. We had some displays and stuff set up on the curb by our house and like, uh, like some table, really, really nice tables and like a gift table and all that. And uh, we had the friends and family drive up and say hi, leave presents and all that good stuff. So they got to see all of that. And uh, the reason why I mentioned all this is, is it was kind of Star Wars theme because when we were originally planning this, we were going to be doing like a, a thing at a hall and all that. And we were going to have a lot of uh, Star Wars Jedi Princess kind of was the theme of it all, and uh, we had like the one of the main designs was like a lightsaber with flowers coming off of it, and uh, yeah. that was kind of in there, yeah. So, yeah, we had that going on, and it was really fun. Chris uh, did stop by, yep. uh, which, uh, yeah, thank you so much. We got some awesome stuff from him, including uh, a Porg plush, which our future daughter, I'm sure, will be happy to play with and spit on and or dro- I'm not spit on, but drool on and all that crazy stuff. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for that. Um, and I think I'm going to announce this here. We don't have 110% official uh, name locked in, but I think we do have her middle name lock- locked in. Oh, yeah. Um, pretty, yeah, here on this podcast episode, I think I'm ready to announce here. Her middle name will actually be Leia. Nice. Uh, yeah, named after the great uh, princess and general uh, Leia Organa. So yeah, I'm pretty pretty stoked about that. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, let's see. Hopefully, this podcast will still be going around when when she's uh, older. And uh, if you're listening to this episode, yeah, this is the episode where we decided to give you the middle name Leia. So thanks for listening, uh, future baby girl of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see here all right let's kick in to book of boba fett 
Um, we're going to be going again over Chapter 3, The Streets of Mos Espa. Uh, quick spoiler warning, we do go in a really good amount of details and plot points um, throughout the entire episode. So if you have not seen the episode, go check it out right now and then come back to this episode. Um, and without further ado, yeah, it did drop on Disney Plus on January 12th. It was the shortest episode thus far out of the three episodes we've gotten, clocking in at 37 minutes and 16 seconds. Uh, it was directed by Robert Rodriguez, uh, who also serves as a producer on the show, and written by John Favreau. And it does play, uh, take place in 9ABY, um, for, as far as the canon goes. Um, what were your... Uh, so, Chris, when we watched the episode and then we stopped it or it ended up there at the very end. What was your gut reaction to this episode before we get into the, the beat by beat here? Um, let's see, it was a little, uh, a little, little confused about some stuff. Um, okay. kind of, I don't know. I, I don't love this episode. There's a lot of things I like about it, but I don't, okay. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still a little undecided about some stuff on there. Okay. Okay. No problem. So, yeah, the episode, it does drop. I think there's only, like, one thing that was in the official trailer for this show that we still have yet to see in this episode. But I think we've seen pretty much, like, 90 to 95% of all the footage shown in that trailer. And this opening scene is one of them. It's pretty much just a, a Boomer Orden bro- uh, Brainwalker, which is, like, that those spiders with, like, the, the spider droids with the brains attached on top. Um, skittering across the rocky desert that was in the opening shot and that shot also was I think in the opening to the trailer as well Um, so then we cut to inside the um, uh, Boba's like little castle there and 8D8 is briefing Boba Fett about the businesses that were under protection of the name that must be not spoken of and Fett tells him that he can name he can actually you know say the name Jabba the Hutt he doesn't care uh, which the droid obliges. And then uh, Fett reassures the droid that the hut is dead and he cannot hurt him. Uh, 88 explains that he was concerned that his new master would feel insulted. Um, Fett is uh, surprised by this and asks why. And he pretty much just tells him, like, um, maybe you would feel threatened. Uh, and then Fett kind of expresses, like, annoyance from there. Um Let's see here. 88 explains that following the sail barge disaster, so that's what they're officially calling it in canon, the characters that were part of it, there's a sail barge disaster. Uh, there was a power vacuum, and Bib Fortuna assumed Jabba's mantle, which we all knew. Um, under uh, Master Bib's watchful eye, most Espa was divided among three families. Uh, the Transosians, who took the center city, the Aqualish took the workers' district, and the Klaatuians took over the starport and the upper sprawl. Uh, and then since Master Bib did not have Jabba's power, he relied on uneasy alliances to preserve his tribute and title. So that kind of explains a little bit, like, how Bib Fortuna operated. Like, he wasn't, like, you know, a super, uh, you know, uh, intimidating ruler or anything like that. He kind of, like, just said, hey, just keep doing your thing and we'll, you know, let everything go in place, kind of. Does that kind of sound like something, like a Bib Fortuna move? Yeah, it also it also kind of uh, answers the question we had from last episode where we were discussing about whether, how 
common knowledge was that Jabba was dead, and it makes pretty clear that everyone knew Jabba was dead. Yeah, yeah. We were discussing about like, well, you know, why didn't the twins like try and take you know Tatooine take Tatooine sooner, or like, you know, why did you know what kind of was going on? So make it pretty clear that like, I'm wondering maybe Biff or Tuna made some kind of deal with them or whatever. But like, yeah, it, it basically answers the question we had. Like, everyone knows Job is dead, and you know, is okay with it. I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and eighty-eight also explains that Bib was uh, lining the pockets of Mayor Mock Shies, uh when Fed asked where where does that leave them. Eighty-eight explains that everyone is waiting to see what kind of leader he would be, uh, which I mean is kind of true of uh, all of us watching at home too. Like all of us like watching, like what kind of ruler is Boba Fett going to be in this kind of thing? So not only (laughs) are the in-show characters wondering us out of show, the audience is wondering that as well. Um, Let's see. And uh, when Fett asks about the assassins, uh, Shan explains that the mayor has no power and believes that someone else is behind that play. And Fett asks if it's the huts. And then Shan asks Fett, if he wants to ask around, and Fett thinks that they should wait a little bit longer. Uh, enter in. Uh, one of the Gomorian guards informs uh, Fett and Shan that one of, the, one of his vessels uh, seek an audience with him, and despite the lack of appointment, Fett allows a visitor to enter the throne room in order to find out what, what is going on. And the visitor turns out to be a character named Lortha Peel, uh, who is played by, I forget the actor's name, but he's essentially... Huh? Steven Root. There you go. He's I know him best as Milton from Office Space. Yeah. Uh, do you know him best as something else? Uh, no, that's where I know him best. I know he's done a few. He's been in a ton of things. Yeah, yeah. One of his more recent ones is he does the voice of uh, Cringer and Battle Cat in the Kevin Smith He Man reboot. Okay. Uh, is yeah he he does I know he voices Cringer in that and then uh, he's been but he's been a bunch of other stuff too. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean this. I mean this. I guess I would consider him. Yeah, a kind of like a cameo role. There's a, another huge cameo role in this later on in this episode. Um, but yeah, um, he goes in a character again named Lorth Appeal. He's a watermonger in the workers' district. And when eighty-eight asks what his petition is, the Lord Fat Peel explains that nobody respects him. And eighty-eight takes offense, but Fett allows Peel to speak. So pretty much like you say, like, hey, no one really respects you. You're not like intimidating. You're not really controlling or doing anything. You're just kind of just sitting back and seeing like what's what right now. Which is, you know, which is kind of like like, like you said. It's kind of a question we all as an audience have because like, we think of Fett as being kind of ruthless and just right to business. Yeah, and it's not the Fett we're seeing in the show. So that's yeah. Well, yeah. we'll talk about it a little later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So Peel explains that ever since uh, Lord Fortuna's death, the streets of Mos Espa have turned into chaos, and Fett replies that this is new to him, and uh, Peel vouches that this is true and says that he is insulted on Fett's behalf at the disrespect that the ur- that these urchins are showing him following the assassination attempt. Uh, Shan says that they will look into it and waves to the Gamorreans to escort Peel out. And then Peel then talks about his petition, and he explains that a street gang of youths has been stealing his inventory, something that has not happened under previous daimyos. Uh, Peel says that he is insulted on Fett's behalf again, which kind of seems like, I don't know, like, uh, to me it sounds like kind of douchey, like saying that you're insulted on someone's behalf. Um, But yeah. Um, Fett asks him if uh, his inventory is water, and Peel agrees and explains that uh, 
that he brokers sales on behalf of the vapor farmers. And then Fett says that he grew up surrounded by water, prompting people to say that Tatooine was once covered entirely in water. The second time that's yeah. been brought up. In I this... feel like that's, that's going to be a thing later. Like maybe Tatooine gets water back by the end of this show. Uh, yeah, it keeps coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know, is there going to be like some like natural disaster where like maybe half of Tatooine becomes covered in water again? I don't maybe. know. And every time like the story, like someone brings it up, and then they move. They just move right past it. They don't like, yeah, yeah. let them finish the story because the the Tuscans were going to tell a story about that, and then like then something happens. They don't talk about it, and then like the yeah, and then this guy like is about to finish the story, and then that cuts him short. And you're like, no, I want to hear what happened to the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, when Fed asks about the gang, Peel explains that they are half man and half machine, stating that they modify their bodies with droid parts to make themselves even more deadly. And Peel petitions to Fett to purge the streets of Mos Espa of this scourge in return for doubling his tribute. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, going to be giving Boba Fett more money, but uh, maybe not all for the best reasons, as we'll find out in a little bit. <laughs> Recruiting the youths. Uh, later that night, Fett, Shan, and their morning guards uh, walk through the streets of Mos Espa. Which, I mean, like, okay, yeah, they're very ruthless killers, and there's, like, four of them. But I feel like they're, like, walking targets, like, almost everywhere they go. It's, like, pretty crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least, like, when the huts probably went out, they probably went out with, like, obviously all their servants and probably, like, a good little mini army full of, like, people, you know, anytime they walk the streets. So, right. Anyway, yeah. That's the way Boba Fett's rolling right now. Um, so they walk through the streets and they pass uh, uh, two Jawa merchants and they approach the group of cybernetic human youths chatting by a fire. And Fett demands to know where they got their water from. And a, uh, a girl named Drash replies that they stole it. And Fett replies that theft is a crime, obviously, which is funny because he's a crime lord. Right. Um, yeah, and well, they put that out to him too. They they kind of throw it back at him about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a male named Scad replies that Peel charges exorbitant prices. Fett tells them to far- farm the water themselves, and then Drash tells Fett to return to his palace. Um, and then Fett warns him to watch their tongue, reminding him that he is the daimyo of this district and vows to bring order. Uh, and then uh, the girl dismisses him as a crime boss. Yeah. Scat asks Fett why he is allowed to watermonger to charge them a month's wages for one week's worth of water. So I'm assuming that's something that they weren't doing under Java. That now, since you know, since Bib Fortuna took over, now Boba Fett, they're kind of just like, obviously, yeah, upticking the prices everywhere. Although yeah. I think the only thing that Java would would have kind of looked it away with, as long as the guy was like paying his tributes to Java. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So the the girl adds that they don't have any wages because there's there's essentially no work. And Fett replies that they live in the workers' district and that they should be working. Uh, the girl replies that there is no work and tells Fett to look around. Uh, Fett approaches the gang and removes his helmet and he tells them that they will instead work for him and he warns that they better fight as good as they talk. Uh, Lorith Appeal is, is he kind of comes in like out of nowhere. I guess their shop is like right next to where they're talking right now. Right. So he <laughs> he runs up and he's upset that Fed has not punished them, claiming that they stole from him and that he is letting them off. When Fed asks how much they owe him, Peel replies that they owe him thirteen hundred credits for water, and uh, Fed tells Shan to give him back his five hundred credits that he paid tribute. 
Uh, Peel protests, but Fett tells him to take his money, consider the matter resolved if she wants to continue to do business in his territory. And then Fett suggests that he can move to most Isley if he doesn't like it. And then Fett also warns him to cut his prices. And then Fett tells the youth to gather up their gear and follow him. Shan backs up and the youths uh, depart on their speeder bikes and Peel walks away. So at this point in the episode, what did you think about like these like youth kids? Or this little youth game. Um, they're kind of cool, although they look extremely out of place on Tatooine, if I'm going to be honest about this. Yeah. They kind of really some other things too. They kind of made the comedy like they, they made they made the comedy they would look more in you know in place as someone like Coruscant. I kinda of believe that. It kinda of, you know, because like they're a little more colorful, they're a little more vibrant. And yeah. it just this is kind of a, a weird contrast to what we think of Tatooine with very kind of muted colors, a lot of browns and like taupes and uh, you know yeah. cream colors, and then they have like some very bright colors and things. So it's like, so the, I mean, I could I maybe mean, I could justify it a few different ways. Like maybe they're newly moved to Tatooine from somewhere close to the core, yeah. and so you know something happened. Their parents had to move out of the core, or who knows? But like, yeah, especially like their, their speeders are very kind of like their speeder bikes are seem kind of out of place because yeah. nothing nothing's ever been that colorful on Tatooine before yeah like, ever yeah yeah so i like them a lot and uh so one of the so what aesthetically the way that i described them and i think i texted about this like right after we saw the episode um they kind of remind me of biff's gang from back to the future 2 when it's yeah. like set like in 2015 yeah and um, they're, like, riding around on the hoverboards and all that stuff. They kind of, like, they have that, like, retro, like, but it's still, like, 80s, like, vibe to, to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah, they look like they were pulled out straight from that that scene. So I kind of I kind of like it for that aspect. Uh, yeah, I do get, like, the whole, like, they do look just a little bit out of place on tattooing. But then I go back to, I, I can see exactly where they were going with this. A lot of times in Star Wars, with like the new creators, they try to honor whether it's either like George Lucas or like you know essentially the creators of the show or like um, just anybody that was around when the sh- when Star Wars was first created. And as, obviously, we all know like uh, George Lucas uh, directed and wrote. Um, actually, I don't know if he wrote it. I'm pretty sure he just directed uh, American Graffiti. And, you know, it's all about hot rods and all that good stuff. So I could see this could be kind of like a little homage to um, George Lucas's like hot rodder days and all that stuff. So I think that's kind of where they're going with this, whether or not it worked. It worked for me. It doesn't sound like it's working for some other folks. And that's fine. Uh, Well, I mean, I I like their like how he uses them. I like their role. I just their aesthetic is what I really want my issue is. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I see. That's cool. Um, okay, going on with the story of the episode here, and we will come back to these guys in a bit. <laughs> um, outside, uh, so now we're hit with a flashback. Um, outside of Jabba's palace, a scurrier is captured by a winged creature, which is in turn swallowed by a wart. And then inside Fett's back to tank, he experiences a flashback watching his father, Jango Fett, depart on a slave one, uh, on Kamino. And then the younger Fett gazes into the skies. Um, 
that's like the second time again that they've shown like Camino kind of like in a very brief like callback scene. So I wonder if we'll get to see more of that in future episodes. That kind of seems like they might, you know, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, this the scene then moves on to Fett riding a Bantha among his Tuscan Raider tribe, and the Tuscans watch him with a sense of respect. And then Fett rides into the distance and in, uh, into most Isley. And he asked the two Jawas where the Pikes do their business in Most Isley. This is kind of continuing on from last week's chapter two. Right. Yeah. And as the Jawas uh, jabber in the language, Fett rides on the Bantha through town past the Spikes' the Stormtrooper helmets that we saw in season one of The Mandalorian. We get to see them being put up for the very first time. And we can also see um, Peli Mato, uh in the background, the, uh, the uh, girl character that... Uh, Din Djarin leaves, uh, re- leaves the Razor Crest with to get repairs. Um, she's also in there uh, walking in the background. You can barely see her, but she's in there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, to be I really like that callback. That was really kind of cool. Just a little, like, just a little nod. Being like, yeah, no, these are all in the same, happening at the same time. Yeah, last. yeah, 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 for sure. And then uh, Fett tethers his bantha outside a building guarded by two pikes. And then Fett states that he has business with the Pike Syndicate, and they admit him into the building. Uh, Fett walks down the stairs and meets with the Pike leader, who has received his message. And the Pike leader explains that protection arrangements are all part of doing business on the outer room territories. And Fett says he will take payment and be on his way. Um, the Pike leader responds that he uh, has already spoken with his superiors on Obadiah, who are unwilling to pay protection to more than one party. And then Fett replies that he is collecting on behalf of the Tuscans of the Dune Sea. And then the Pike uh, leader responds that the Kintan Striders have already collected protection money for the same territory that he has claimed to. Which are the dudes, I think those are the dudes leaving those like Justice League looking symbols around everywhere. That's like their, that's like their tag. <laughs> um, Fett replies that they don't need to pay protection to that spy- speeder gang uh, but, um, since the Sand people far outnumber them. And then Fett says that the sands have belonged to the Tuscans since the oceans of Tatooine have dried. Uh, again, another <laughs> another callback to Tatooine being covered in water. Um, <clears throat> the Pike leader says that they are willing to do business with either party, but they do not want to be taken advantage of by paying money to both. And then the Pike tells Fett that he hopes he understands, and vow, uh, Fett vows to resolve this and says he will not hear flies again. Um, and then... The Pike says that he looks forward to their partnership. Which, okay, so the only thing that threw me off about this scene is, like, okay, so he's talking to a Pike, and they're obviously, right. like, you know, drug drug crime lords and all that stuff. Right. Don't you think they'd be in a slightly nicer, like, uh, home or residence? It kind of seemed, like, kind of grimy in there, wherever they were, like, doing business. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like maybe they use, I mean, I'm just going to, throw some headcanon in here i just kind of feel like they're using maybe they use like tatooine as a as like a storage point or like a midpoint in there like you know it's like they use it to like store things there but they don't necessarily yeah. like have a strong setup yeah it's not like their home office like, or anything right and i kind of i'm kind of based on a little bit on how this episode ends um mm-hmm. you know that, that this is kind of just like a uh in the and they had the train that i'm assuming just moves spice from one settlement to another like but maybe they have some like big warehouse out in the dune sea somewhere yeah or in a, 
you know, Cargo Mountain, then they ferried back and forth to the spaceports to get it off planet. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's that's what I'm assuming is going on. Yeah, yeah, that sounds sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, all right. So Fett agrees. Uh, Fr- I'm sorry. Fett rides across the dune sea on his bantha, and to return to his Tuscan camp, which. Okay, so it looks cool that he's riding the, uh, you know, riding the Bantha and all that stuff. But doesn't that Bantha move hella slow? Like, yeah, I, no, I, as I, was watching, I was like, you'd be all like, I mean, there's got to be a faster way of getting around than on that thing. I don't know. It just well, seems they still have like a couple scooter bikes, right? They didn't yeah. blow the pull up with the train ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's weird, but. uh he notices flames in the distance. Uh oh, that's never a good sign, especially on Tatooine. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, walks... it was very reminiscent of uh, of New Hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fett walks on foot to the Tuscan village. Clan, the entire clan, mind you, has been slaughtered. He discovers burnt tents and several fallen banthas. While surveying the destruction, he finds the remains of Tuscans lying on the ground. And Fett also recognizes the marking of the gang that he encountered earlier on on Tatooine. Again, that like Justice League looking symbol. That's what we're going to call it for now until we get an official name for it. Um, <clears throat> uh, so Fett cremates the remains of his Tuscan friends before recovering his uh, Goddard, God, I think they call it a Goddard Effie stick. Gaffy yeah. stick. Gaffy stick, yeah. That's like another, yeah. There's like a, okay. Uh, after paying his respects to the dead, Fett rides away on his bantha. So, yeah, we spent pretty much all of chapter two, not all of chapter two, most of chapter two with this tribe um, and trying to get, you know, all of that stuff going. And now here they are, like, ready to waste. Pretty wild. Well, it, well yeah, but we, we predicted this, or I did. Some One of us said, you know, said that, like, pretty much felt these, uh, these you know, Tuscans were going to get wiped out by somebody. Yeah. And the question was who. Um, and you know, now we know, and now we know who, and in a greater sense, we kind of finally have kind of met who the villains of this show are, which we'll get into a little more specifically here in a minute, but, or, you know, well, more than a minute, but like, it's, you know, it's kind of nice to finally see a villain, like see who the bad guys are. And I'm curious to see how them getting wiped out transitions to Boba Fett like swearing to take over Jabba's palace at some point because that, yeah. that's the one piece we're still missing it's like how does them getting slaughtered and I'm sure Fett has kind of put pieces together that like I'm sure the Pikes had a similar conversation with the Kitan Striders about like mm-hmm. well hey we can't pay you both so however you want to take care of that we just want to pay one one group of people <laughs> yeah yeah so, so yeah, I'm sure that's I... a good, the conversation was the same both ways so they were just got there first, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So I we're, we're assuming his quest is going to be to take them out, probably next. Um, That's what it like, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but before he can do any of that, we're instantaneously out of the whole uh, flashback sequence, and bam! Guess who's there? Uh, Black Cake. Yeah, Black K. Yeah, uh, he's uh, Boba. Like immediately is like woken up and uh, uh, thrown out of his back to tank, um, and uh, 
fights back against the Wookiee. Uh, he's there. He's there to do do a hit on him, essentially. And uh, gains the upper hand and throws him. Wait, hold on. He does he? Yeah, he does. He gains the upper hand and throws him around a little bit. And then Black Chrysanthemum uh, strikes him with his paws. Um, Fett grabs a melee stick and again. And they kind of get, they go back and forth a little bit. But for the most part, Black Chrysanthemum is throwing him around pretty crazy. And uh, I think he gets a bite in there too. I think he bites like an. Uh, he bites like a Gamorrean later. Well, he bites a Gamorrean later and then like in the neck, like vampire style. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so <clears throat> before the Wookiee can finish off Fett, uh, one of the female youth uh, gang, uh, I forget her name again, the female youth girl, uh, he, she, he's, uh, I'm sorry, Black Resentment from the back. And then used around the Wookiee, and then one of them hurls electric nunchucks around one of his arms, and then uh, Black Chrysanthemum essentially off. Him, shoot at him with, uh, but their blasters bounce off uh, his half hide armor that he's wearing. Um, Fett hits the Wookiee, but Black Chrysanthemum brushes off the attack. And then, yeah, coming in here, the Tico Morning Guards are coming in now, and the and jumps on top, pushing them down the stairs. They fight in the throne room, and there's one of the Gamoran guards to the ground and bites the other one, and, you, and it's all crazy. Um, before we can finish them off, though, the, the, the street gang converge on Wookiee, and then Shand appears and tells you to stay back as she activates the trap door, causing Black K to slide in. And the Wookiee tries to hold on with one of his paws, but uh, Shand dislodges his paw with a knife. Cause into the Rancor pit. Rancorless pit uh, for now. Uh, he is down there. And then Chantel's uh, wounded Gamorrean guards while Fett arrives. And then Fett tells Shan to get the wounded Gamorrean into his back to tank. And then Fett, uh, Fett and his forces watch Black Chrysanthemum growling from his cage. So a couple things about this scene. So one of the things, what did you think about the fight scene? I thought it was pretty awesome. Did you think it was? I thought it was awesome. Yeah, no, I thought that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, kind of thought maybe Black Christanton was maybe a little. I don't know. I feel like he should have been a little tougher. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I don't know. Like he was pretty rough, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like he got taken down way easier than maybe he should have been for his awesomeness. I mean, he faces down Obi Wan Kenobi at some point and like lives tail to tail, tail. Like I can't imagine like five street punks are going to be able to like take him down. <laughs> Like as as yeah. he as, like as, as a little bit. He was planning on just fighting Boba Fett and maybe fighting Shan if he came around. And... Right. So maybe that kind of That's... threw him off a bit. But no, it was, it was a really good fight. I kind of wish. Yeah. That they had kept him in the dungeon as kind of their rancor replacement. <laughs> Would be kind of kind of cruel, but kind of time to just like you know. Feed things to him like through the trap door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's a great warrior as well. But usually, when we see him, he's using his bow. Um, or yeah, more or less, he's always using like a blaster, the bowcaster. I think this was the first times in live action where, besides like me. Where we've seen like a Wookiee go like ham, like melee style. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Wrecking. 
Yeah. No, yeah, yeah it logical. is. Um, how do you think? What do you think? I don't know why I was so but, but dang, that thing is going to. <laughs> tanks are cheap. Especially no. his, his seems like a really like deluxe version back to tank. I'm gonna put the spilt media well, yeah, yeah, in there. And... Yeah. But this is yeah, this is one of this interesting thing where like this is some kind of weird kinder gentler. This is again this like this kinder gentler bubble fit where he's like a nice guy and respects all life, which is weird for someone who's known for disintegrations. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So after that whole... Uh, a R5 series SMX serves Fett and Shan food, uh, food for a... This is one a few, few times in... The whole set laid out. Delicious. And delicious. Um... And then Fett dismisses the droid to aid with the patrol, and Shan tells him that he is head of the family and should enjoy the trappings. That's kind of a line that they are. Uh, replies that he needs to respond because everyone is watching and waiting for him to make his next move. Uh, Shan to have some food, but Fett says he has that he already did. his enemies uh, sent blast black chrysanthemum to kill him, and that the Wookiee is now. Shan invites Fett to show his hand. Uh, these are huts, and that they are willing, uh, uh, waiting, opportunity uh, to strike again. And then Adia interrupts the banquet with have arrived with a gift, and then Shan smirks. So, uh, so why do you, oh, I don't know? Why didn't he have his uh, street gang kids eating? Why didn't you have them like out there with him? Well, why, why weren't they eating dinner with him? He had all that food, and he's like he doesn't really want to eat it himself. Do so you think he would like share it with all of his underlings now? His new yeah. crew. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe he told them to go do some recon in Mos Espa or something. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Going to be there. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he can. Maybe since they're like freshly hired, he doesn't fully trust them yet. And obviously, him and Fennec are like best buds, so maybe that's why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, he and Shand walk out to meet the twins who are being carried on a litter, dressed in white and red. And then the hut that they have come to apologize, and then the <laughs> the hut sister admits that they sent Black Chrysanthemum to kill Fat. Brothers claim the I'm sorry. The brother claims that they are sorry. And offer a gift as restitution, and this gift turns out to be a bound rancor, which is being uh, carried on a repulsor lift sled. And the creature is accompanied by a human rancor keeper, played by one Danny Trejo. Yes, we finally, but it only took three episodes, but we have Danny Trejo involved in a Robert Rodriguez Star Wars. He's here, and I loved it. I love seeing him. As soon as I saw him on screen, I was like, oh my god, they did it! This is amazing! And I feel like this role fits like him kind of perfectly. Like He looks like he would be a Rancor Keeper. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about it? No, I was excited to see Dan Trejo. I love Dan Trejo. 
Uh, my only issue with Danny Trejo is that, like he's always Danny Trejo. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we we watch him and when he's doing performance stuff, you just keep thinking hey, that's Danny Trejo. Whereas like in the same episode, we have like Stephen Root, and it didn't really like occur to me that he was Stephen Root because like he was doing a character, but yeah. Danny Trejo is always just doing Danny Trejo. So now it's just yeah. Danny Trejo. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, hey, he does a hell of a Danny Trejo playing himself. He does. No, he definitely does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fett tells him to clear off Tatooine in return for considering a truce, at degrees, but for a different reason. She tells him that he should know, and the Hutt brother explains that they had been lied to since Java's territory was promised to another criminal syndicate. When Fett asks who it was, pro- uh, who was promised. Explains that it was promised to Mayor Mak Shais. Okay, so now we're getting some, so a little bit of background here. Uh, the Hutt brother says that the pair will be returning to Al Hutta since the Huts do not want war, and the sister says that war is bad for business. Guard leads the bound black chrysanthemum to release the bookie as they all claim to Jabba's legacy on Tatooine, and the Hutt brother says that they are leaving Tatooine. Advises same. Excuse me. Uh, the sister describes Tatooine as a worthless rock and proposes selling the Wookiee back to the gladiators that he came from. And then the Fett brother describes the tribute to Fett. And then the Huts depart with their entourage. So, kind of interesting stuff going on in this exchange because it is setting up the stage for kind of a war on Tatooine between these crime lords and even the huts don't want like really any part of it so that's kind of interesting or at least you know that's what they're telling Boba um <clears throat> Fett orders the Gamorrean guard to release the Wookiee while Shan points out a gun at him uh Fett speaks to the Wookiee tell him that he has no hard feelings and says that it was just business so I mean for as he's taken he considers this all business still which is pretty crazy um. Yeah. I mean, um, it kind of is. I mean, as a as a fellow professional, it's like if you know Boba had to go bring in a bounty that was like his best friend, it would be like it would wouldn't be necessarily be personal, it would just be business. It's kind of the same yeah. thing. So it's kind of like the, the honor code that these that bounty hunters go by, where it's like it's just you know some days you're the hunter and some days you're the hunted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, Black Chrysanthemum growls in Shrewook before running away. Uh, which he kind of it's kind of funny how he runs off. He kind of just scuttles off into the distance not like in a direct <laughs> path of anything he's like oh okay well my scene's done i'm just gonna run over here um <laughs> so may i hope we see him again at some point i'm pretty sure we will maybe there's a life debt thing that comes into play here who knows i don't know um chewbacca if, if, if anything, if anything it'll, it'll come into play probably in a similar way in the, in the mandalorian show where we had him at least in season one. This was true, and and in season two a little bit too, where it's like he meets all these interesting characters, and then at the end of the season has to pull them all together to make a you know to do some kind of mission or yeah. accomplish something cool. And so it could be one of those things where like yeah, we get closer to this war with the Pikes that you know he hires Black K to like be fight for him or fight with him or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when Shen asks it. When Shan uh, asks if he believes what the Huts are saying, Fett responds that he has no reason to believe them, and he reasons that they will benefit from the enemies fighting one another. And now uh, we have this beautiful little Rancor beast uh, with Boba Fett at his palace now, and Shan uh, offers to arrange a meeting with the mayor 
and she describes the Rancor as quite a gift. Uh, the creature is housed in the lair of Jabba's former Rancor. Uh, 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 Fett asks why the creature just lies there, and then we don't have an official name for the Danny Trejo keeper, uh, or I'm sorry, the Danny Trejo character. His name is just the Rancor Keeper, so that's what we're going to call him. So the Rancor Keeper explains that the Rancor is depressed and explains that they are emotionally complex creatures. When he asks why it wears blinders, uh, the Keeper explains that the creature is a cat and that the Keeper explains that he saved the creature for himself to train and he adds that it imprints on its that it sees. And now that Fed has arrived, he will be willing, uh, he will be training it. Um, Fett asks for permission to approach the Rancor, and the Keeper says that Rancors are peaceful unless they are threatened. And then Fett strokes the creature, prompting the Keeper to notice that he likes it. Um, and he expresses that he wants to essentially be the one that imprints on it, and then he wants to eventually ride the Rancor. So imagine that as a, as a vision, you know, seeing on top of Rancor coming at you, you know, blaster hot. Like, that. that's a pretty crazy image, you know what I mean? Yeah, it is out of a nine-year-old's fever dream. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They, I saw this meme this week that was like some promotional ad from back in the day when uh, probably when Empire Strikes Back were coming out. These two kids like screaming really loud with like all their like Star Wars toys and playing with them. Yeah, and the caption was like Robert Rodriguez and um, John Favreau writing writing the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, that was my thought, right? Like, as cool as it is, it definitely is like a nine year old fever dream. You're like, where you're a kid and you have your Rancor toy. And you're like, what if both had rode this Rancor in a battle? It'd be so badass. Yeah. It has a little it has, it has a little bit of that sting to it to me, but I don't know. It's still good. It's, I still have faith it'll be, it'll look awesome. Yeah. 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 So uh, after that whole scene, they're getting, they getting some of that going on in the few, at a future episode. And Fett tells Shan to suit up, and that they're gonna go be go uh, visit the mayor. Uh, so Fett, Shan, and the gang of used ride to the mayor of Mos Espa's office to confront Makshayis. Um, and then Fett and Shan walk inside the office and meet with the major domo, who again is just—he's a scene <laughs> stealer. He's a yeah. stealer. He's a really funny, lame guy. Major domo explains that the mayor's ske- schedule is quite complicated. She warns him to be careful with his next words if he wants to continue breathing. And then uh, she grips her blaster. And the Major Domo offers to rearrange his appointments and retreats into the mayor's office. And then he immediately locks the doors to the throne room, (laughs) which is pretty funny. And then, like, I think you hear, like, a blaster, or not a blaster, I'm sorry. You hear, like, a speed uh, turning on, like, within, like, seconds from that. And uh, follow, they break the door. Um, I find it empty and deserted, and then the the two rejoining uh, uh, the street gang, uh, only to see the major domo fleeing in the land speeder, and sends the youth after him on their speeder bikes, which are very bright, colorful, and synchronized colors to like kind of each not each of them because they're all wearing like white and black and stuff like that, and they do have like kind of droid parts attached to them. Um, yeah, anyway, um, whoa, so they, uh, kind of give chase, and, uh, let's see here, da, da, da. 
They uh, chase the major domo through the streets of Mos Espa, and they avoid a protocol droid, but knock over a repulsor lift cart being drawn by an astromech droid, which I think is the pink. Uh, it's the pink astromech that pops up every once in a while that was piloting that thing, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. As the pursuit continues, the major domo speedster whacks a pit droid and topples a stand full of fruits. And he also topples more objects, including a tank of water. Uh, led by the female youth, Drash, the two youths outflank the Major Domo. Two of them scrape his land speeder. And as the pursuit continues, a male youth rides the speeder bike through two pedestrians, carrying a painting of Jabba before crashing into a pit. Painting, by the way, that they uh, crash through is, um, I think it's concept art done by, what's his name? Nicori or Ch- uh yeah, Macquarie. There you go. Sorry. Yeah, I think it was Macquarie. Uh, he, you know what, um, Jabba's palace would look like inside, and then that's what's like ripped through. It's pretty awesome. Pretty nice, cool, uh, cool back. Um, the major, a droid, uh, rickshaw carrying two bits, and then Drash manages to ride her bike over a building before landing on the major, and then he crashes into a stand of. Which, if you're familiar with uh, Star Wars Rebels, Rebels. Uh, Melaroons are pretty popular. And, <laughs> like, I think there's an episode, yeah. Uh, where, yeah, where they're just trying to get those roots. Um, and then Fett and the Us converge on the ma- major demo. Uh, Mayor is working with the Pikes, and then he is gone. Uh, Fett asks, um, uh, later, a Skywalker carrying several passengers, including a large entourage of pikes, lands on most Espa's spaceport. Uh, Scad, who's one of the street, is watching the pikes and rides his bike to a hologram station. He tells Fett and Shen that he saw at least a dozen of the pikes coming through, and Fett thanks him for his good work and tells the youth. Uh, Fett quips that it is just an expression, noticing Scad's cybernetic right eye. And yeah, which is pretty cool. I mean, again, that's like another thing that I think is straight from like Back to the Future too. Like I think because I even think one of them had like a little 3D glass thing over one of their eyes, kind of right. kind of reminiscent of this. Um, <clears throat> Scott tells him that he doesn't have to be sorry since he paid a lot of money for his cybernetic eye, and Shan tells him him know what he sees. Shan warns Fett that they these are just the first wave and that they're going to be going to war. And Fett vows that they will be ready. Boom. End of the episode. Um, so, yeah, I kind of didn't go super duper in depth about that chasing. But I really loved the chasing. I loved it a lot. And then within like 24 to 48 hours, I was seeing like all these like tweets and reports about people saying like they didn't like it and stuff. And I was like, really? People didn't like that? I thought it was. What did you think about it, Chris? Um, I'm kind of mad on it because it so because when I was watching, I was like, it was so like a stereotypical uh chase scene out of like a classic movie mm-hmm. down to them like driving through like in in this one it was a picture of Jabba the Hut and uh in a classic movie like a pane of glass like two guys walk across the street with a you know a big pane of glass I guess thrown yeah. through and the cart and the droid and like. It was all just like straight out of like some classic film, uh, comical car chase. So yeah. it seemed, it's it seemed kind of like I don't know. It, 
I've come to the realization that I that I, I I think I'm expecting the Book of Boba Fett to be a different show than what it is, and it's probably what everyone else is coming to that conclusion to now. Because when we thought Boba Fett, I at least personally, I figured it would be like serious and like dark and more in tone to the yeah more like yeah more in tone to the Mandalorian. Uh-huh. And it's not that, and I need to learn to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, not that I'm not okay with the show, but it's like, it's just is a lot lighter. There's a lot more like a both. There's a lot more shots of both at smiling than I was expecting to see. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. The yeah. thing is more just lighter in tone. It's almost more like a workplace drama, workplace comedy than it is like bounty hunting. So uh-huh. yeah, kind of in the see the chasing is kind of addictive. All that where it's like the chase is not particularly fast, and it's kind of like. Has all like those silly elements in it and those weird quirky like humor bits and it just yeah. So I just need to, I need to come to come to terms with what Book of Boba is versus what I want it to be. Yeah. So I mean, that's pretty much the gist of the episode. Everything. Over. What was your, like highlight? Was it black black chrysanthemum fighting fight scene pretty much? Um. Or would you say something else? It was. It was it was probably my favorite. One of my, well, the part I, one of the parts I really liked the best was actually the Rancor stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I was I always had a soft spot in my heart for Rancors. I think they're just cool. I really like the um, the reference to old expand old uh, expanded universe canon that they mm-hmm. haven't they have brought back in again this round now that the that the witches of Dathomir would ride uh, would ride Rancors in the battle. Which is like oh, yeah. something that was in the old canon that they they did Dathomir, but they didn't bring that with it, which I always thought was a shame. Um, that was always such an awesome, like you know, scene of these like kind of uh, witch doctory looking like dark side users riding into battle on their like war painted rancors. It was always such an mm-hmm. awesome like image, and so it was kind of cool to see that reference back in again. So yeah, I think probably the rancor part was probably one of my favorite parts. And I, I mean, in general, I like this episode because it did have more of the present day Tatooine stuff and less of the Sand People stuff. And, and mm-hmm. I kind of like that there are, and, there, and I like that we do get to see who the villain of the series is, that the Pikes are definitely who we're fighting against. Which yeah. is kind of nice to see kind of where this is going. So, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going to be a little controversial. Nah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was pretty good. I was gonna. This might be a controversial take, but I think my favorite part was the actual chasing at the end because it just felt really fun. And uh, I don't know, it felt Star Warsy to me. I know a lot of people were saying it didn't feel Star Warsy at all, but it felt very Star Wars e to me. Um, let's see here, what's next? Ta-da. Oh yes, uh, what would you give this uh, episode out of a ten? Um, I go eight. I think overall, I mean, it's a pretty good episode. It it, it answered a lot of my questions I had about the show, like what happened to the Sand People, like who are we really up against, and where is this eventually leading to? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll go eight this time. Okay, nice. Um, let's see. I will also. I'll 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 go exactly with what you go with. I'll go with the eight as well. Yeah, I'll give this an eight out of ten. Um. <laughs> 
I think that's pretty much all we got for this week. Where so we're on chapter three. I think we're gonna be getting seven chapters of Boba Fett. Yes. We're almost we're almost halfway. Anything Yeah, I mean we've gotten that tease from tomorrow Morrison that like he where he's saying like wait for chapter seven. So we're assuming like some epic either cameo or just something crazy happening in chapter We'll see that, that in about a month here. That's gonna happen. Yeah. Maybe it's him writing the <laughs> Rancor. Watch it be like chapter six is like the one with all the crazy cool stuff, and then chapter seven's like, oh okay. That was pretty typical, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Um I think that's all we got got for you guys. Chris talk about it mentioned. Um no, just um just kinda keep on lookout. I think we're I feel like we're due for some big for some Star Wars stuff coming, some Star Wars news coming soon. I don't know what it is yet. I have no inside information, but I feel like we're, we're probably due because we get kind of head into the halfway mark of both that as far as yeah. giving us a tease of what the next series is. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Let's mention that. Yeah. So um, the Moon Knight trailer, as of this recording, just dropped today. We're, we have a have, but there is a poster that mentioned that the um, uh, show will be debuting on March 3rd. And I did pre-show. I did some, and uh, MCU show Moon Knight will be six episodes. And if they double up on March thirtieth and they drop episode one and episode two on that day, on a week every Wednesday, that'll line up perfectly to give us something on May the fourth, which uh, Moon Knight would March twenty seventh, exactly a week before May the fourth. Um, and we were mentioning Chris and I that um, the Disney Plus has been pretty adamant about going back to back on its shows. It doesn't really give us like a couple weeks off or a month off in between these big tentpole releases. They kind of go from one right into the next. Um, so we are kind of assuming that we'll be getting. I I think Chris, I think we're both assuming we're getting Kenobi on May fourth. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could be Bad Batch season two because Bad Batch season, at least Bad Batch, you could season two you could do easily within the con- confines of the the pandemic, you know, filming schedules and things. Yeah, so I mean, it, it could be could be more Bad Batch for all we know. It could be, yeah. It could also, I mean, they haven't done well, posters, trailers, or anything for Andor, but I mean, could also be Andor. Who knows? Um... I think we'll be getting that maybe a little bit later on this year, but yeah, I think I'm holding out for Kenobi. I think it'll be that. Um, and as of again, this recording, uh, Star Wars Celebration is still going down. Um, think otherwise, fingers um, crossed. Do you think it'll still? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to jinx it too much or anything, but do you think it'll still be going off and going on as normal, Chris? I'm hoping so. The biggest thing I, I think we I think the biggest thing we could see. Is maybe we see less celebrity panels, or yeah. they do them, but they like they do them in the hall, like in the in the halls, but they, they zoom them in from like home, where they're not necessarily yeah. there person. Um, I think we we could see that, yeah. or we could see some kind of like a hybrid panel where maybe like a couple of guys are there, but then like a couple of guys are like just kind of calling in from from set or calling in from home on their on their you know on their yeah. zooms. Yeah, I, I like 
that that's I, I kind of foresee that happening. I I don't. I just really hope they don't just move it or cancel it again because I'm just I'll, I'll just break my heart because it's already been moved yeah. for two years in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, okay. So knowing that there's a few series already filmed and in the can, I don't think they're going to want to be moving their production release schedule off any further than they already have. So I think like very worst case scenario, and I hope it's not, this doesn't happen because I want to see everybody in person and say hi and all that good stuff in person. Um, But I think worst case scenario, they'll keep the dates, but remove everything to online only. But uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, Yeah. I think this current wave of whatever we're, you know, what we're dealing with will be, waning i think a lot by then um yeah. but we'll yeah but we'll see i'm no doctor um da, 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 okay let's see da, da, da. what we got yeah um nice tight episode for you guys um we'll be doing another boba talk episode for you guys next week um we might also be mixing it up too we might be doing a clone wars revisit episode here pretty soon or just another uh another fight fun off topic or ranked episode here as well. Um we're still gonna do our Star Tours episode. We we're still gonna be doing a Star Tours episode too, yeah. So uh be on the lookout for that. Um Chris, what would you like to leave with the good people before we go? Um shoot I don't, know, I don't really have anything to recommend this week other than uh if you're really into uh James Gunn and Ultraviolence, check out Peacemaker on HBO Max. Pretty good. I've enjoyed it. I've already watched the first couple episodes a couple times already, so it's a pretty good show. Nice. Okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, and okay. maybe uh, what will I say? Dang. Make yourself. Hey, so if you don't have a peanut allergy or anything, make yourself a PB and J. It's a really good, uh, really good food that I enjoy. I don't know. That's the best I got for you guys this week. It's really random, I know. Um, but it's one of my home easily made dish. Look in there. You don't want to go out and spend money. Make yourself a good old-fashioned PB&J. Uh, yeah, that's the most random thing I got for you. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And may the force be with you. Have a good week, guys. Oh, 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 oh. Dun 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 d